With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. So how you feeling? I'm T. Frank. This is the BWI Daily Edition. We are going to discuss Penn State, Michigan, and an autopsy of the game, if you will. <laughs> a, a final look. Nate, you're live. Don't laugh. You know it's funny, but don't laugh. <laughs> uh, we are going to discuss uh, what happened as Penn State got roadkilled on the way to uh, to 200 or 418 yards on the day. That's coming up on the BWI Daily Edition. Nate, you can laugh whenever you want. I'm just kidding. It's the BWI Daily Edition. Nate Bauer is here, but uh, he seems to be not here at the same time. Nate, are you with me? I am with you. Okay. Uh, yeah, we don't have any difficulties. Pictures. We have some technical difficulties to start. We are officially... Wait, 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 wait. I know what we've to en- do. I know what to we've do. We've entered Zoom territory. There we go. So we're off to a hot start just like Penn State football, Nate. Like, man, we're killing it today. <laughs> you know, I was I was trying to it doesn't matter. I was trying to X out of some other applications and uh my fault. Not your fault. My fault. No, you know, it's all it's, right. It's all about taking ownership. If I've learned anything this weekend, people want other people to own it, and I own it. Absolutely. Mess that one up. Absolutely. Uh, so let's talk about Penn State football. Let's talk yep. about what happened the other day. But before we get to that, I just want to ask the fans here watching, like the video. It's super yep. helpful. It lets people know that we're here. And it, uh, you know, as I always say, we need to fight. The almighty algorithm. And if you want to be an algorithm warrior, hit the like button. It's super appreciated. We're here taking your questions live on YouTube about the game. We're also going to discuss what's coming up this week from a big picture, not necessarily from an X's and O's, nuts and bolts perspective, because uh, unlike last week, uh, coming off a of bye week, I was able to watch some stuff this week. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen a single second of Minnesota. So we can discuss the game. But, you know, if can Minnesota do X to Penn State, I, we'll find out. Uh, we'll talk about that throughout the week on the BWI Daily Edition. But Nate, yeah. um, you as you called yourself earlier today when we were discussing this game. You are the eternal optimist. Sure. Were, th- were things as bad as they seem? In that game, yes. In that okay. game. In the game. I, 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 look, like, it, it's somewhat exhausting to have to do a postmortem on the health of the Penn State football program in general over nine years. Right. Like it's a nine year conversation every time they lose now. And so when we had that conversation last year in the middle of the slide uh, that Penn State had to close out the season, it was absolutely warranted. I needed to see every I think that everyone needs to see what happens through the end of the season. And so at that point last year, we, we, we talked all winter. Right. We We talked January until August about what it meant to have go- for Penn State to have gone four and five and seven and six. They're five and one. <laughs> They're five yeah. and one now. Okay. They yep. lost the game. Uh, they lost the game to what I think was a little bit of a surprise to me. Uh, I think a little bit of a surprise to you. I mean, we both picked Michigan to win. So let's be honest here. We both yep. picked Michigan to win, yep. but not Michigan, like that. not like that. Yeah. Michigan was, Michigan was really good. Penn State had no answers for what Michigan wanted to do. And so, yeah, they, they, Penn State got their butts kicked, bottom line. Does that ne- necessarily equate to the rest of the season being a disaster for Penn State? No, it doesn't. Right. It doesn't, but it, but it's in the balance, right? Like that's, that's, right. The, that's the beauty of all of this is what happens this week is, is now crazy important. It's now yeah. crazy. Uh, it was going to be one way or another, but it ratchets up the uh, – 
absolute necessity to win this football game. Like for sure, the the, the margin of error for the season is gone in terms of success, not a success. How the record looks versus the teams you played, right? You know, I think yep. we all agreed that this three-game stretch was going to be a tough three-game stretch, whether or not Minnesota was good. That's that, you know, it was kind of a secondary nature of the thing. But then to lose that game the way you did for Penn State. Yeah. If we're talking about this team in postseason conversations, and that's really the letdown here, I think, Nate, is that if they were to win the rest of their games, sure. Yeah. But with it, let best case scenario, they finish with two losses mm-hmm. in, in another scenario. And one of them was really bad. Like yeah. it was a really bad loss. So yeah. that doesn't put you in the conversation for any postseason contention. And I think that's really aside from the embarrassment of the moment for Penn State fans, that's really the implication for the next however many games until things sort themselves out. Is that fair? T Frank, how many people picked Penn State to go to the playoff this year? None. Uh very few. <laughs> Other than Dave, who I don't see. David David Greeter is in the chat every night. 2022 Big Ten Champs is what he said every single uh podcast this offseason. He did not. Uh Lambda's got the right idea. This is big boy podcasting. So uh if you've got some questions, you yeah, can and I'm failing. <laughs> we'll be taking your questions. Uh, and uh, we'll be getting to some of the conversations that you guys want to have tonight. But we're going to discuss some of the things on our mind. Um, what about the game? Let's get into something specific about the game. Is there anything that has changed for you? Because you always have, as I say, to start the show, this is where I like to begin. Yeah. What new perspective do you have about that from Saturday to now when you've had a chance to just think about everything and put some stuff in perspective with time? I think the issue to me, and this connects to what you just said, is it's not that Penn State lost a game. Honestly, it's not even that Penn State got crushed in that game to me. I know it is to a lot of people. It's that I've been watching Penn State play bad offensive football for a month. We talked about it right after Central Michigan. We had that conversation. Uh, They scored 33 points in that game, but it was not in any way the type of offense or offensive attack that we saw Penn State put out against Auburn. Yeah. You don't know how much of an impact Northwestern and the rain and Northwestern, you know, it's generally pretty solid defensively. So, so at that point it's two weeks. Is it an aberration? What is it? Then you go out and I mean, uh, it, it was not Iowa dysfunction can't get the snap off bad but it wasn't far away right (laughs) when you you have have the ball for 14 plays over the course of a half uh that says something about what your opponent is able to do to you for sure but also what what you are not doing well and so that that to me is where it gets into hey guess what uh you know uh, bottom line here, Minnesota's defense, they can only play the teams that they've played. Uh, yep. Minnesota's defense, scoring defense is fourth in the country right now. They've given up 11 points a game. And, yep. and, and, and more important to me, uh, time of possession, they're ninth or seventh in the country. That's what they do. That's the number one thing they do. And that's, it's funny because this past game, and we'll get into some of this a little bit later, talking about breaking tendencies and doing things differently. If there's one thing that Minnesota does, it's what Minnesota does. They do things one way. Uh, At least that's what I've seen from PJ Fleck over the years. So that might be a good feeling for Penn State fans coming into this game, knowing that there, there might not be uh, as much of a surprise as much of a wrinkle coming into this game, but at the same time, they do present this a similar challenge to what Penn State just could not overcome. Yeah. Um, so yeah, bad matchup, bad matchup, yeah. like bad matchup at Michigan for sure. Uh, in that Penn State wasn't able to turn the course of the game into anything resembling what it wanted to do. Now, granted, yeah. and and I made this point to you, and I know it's uh, people are gonna hate this and kill it, but. Penn State had one explosive play and was able to turn it into points, and it had one defensive takeaway and was able to turn it into points. They made two plays in the first half. Now, yep. the rest of the half is a total indictment, but 
there is an underlying foundation there of that's kind of what Penn State wants to be. Obviously, they want to have the ball much more than that. Obviously, they want to make yep. more defensive plays than that. But there was an opportunism to that first half that Penn State just wasn't able to, to produce in the yep. second half. And they were able no, to play red zone over. defense and yes. keep the points down, um, even though it came at the cost of never having the football, Correct. which was which was a huge problem. Yep. Um, we got Steven in the chat. Steven's with us. My favorite major felony forensics team, T Frank and Nate find the body, the <laughs> knife and the culprit. Well, the, yeah. the, here's the thing. The culprit is entirely taking ownership of this. In fact, they've been celebrating online for 48 hours. The culprit <laughs> is absolutely yeah. Michigan and yeah. they're fine with it. Uh, yeah. The body finding pieces of the body on the way back from Ann Arbor has been an interesting thing. Uh, and do you want to talk about some of the things Um from the game some specifics about what happened um let's start here let's start here yeah pre-game mm -hmm. landon tangwall going through warm-ups and james franklin says post-game he was hurt during pre-game warm-ups yep and did not play in the game yep that is a huge red flag to me yeah in so many different ways and I think it also makes a lot of things kind of come into into picture. But I want I, I want to give this to you to start. Um, how concerned should Penn State be about that and how that went down? Yeah, I mean, I certainly I think when Bryce Effner ends up being the guy that has to fill it, right? They had to do a rearranging of really even their depth based on this one guy going down Landon Tangwall yeah. and, and Landon Tangwall's not had a great season as it is, which is fine. I mean, the, the kid's developing, he's a young guy. Uh, he's got plenty of room to grow. Uh, the, the, you know, look, I'm, I'm relying somewhat on Greg here because Greg saw Landon and more or less said that he did not move his upper body for the, the, the entirety of the game. Okay. okay. And so we could feel confident that Landon Tangwall did not tear an ACL in, in pregame warmups. He didn't, right? right. None of that. But I, it, based on what James Franklin said, based on our visuals of this, uh, yeah, I think it's, yes. I think it's an issue that all of a sudden he was not able to play. And the question that you have to ask yourself now is to what level of effectiveness is he going to be when he comes back? Whenever that yeah. is. So, uh, Nate, have you ever heard of somebody getting hurt to the extent they cannot play in pregame warmups, especially an offensive lineman not doing running and cutting and, you know, kind of more aggressive stuff. Typically, at least from what I've seen, what they do is they come out, uh, they come out less than the other specialists and the other receivers. They, they go through warmups where they're hitting thud, going through some, you know, light jogging, things like that is, yeah. have, have you seen guys get hurt to the point that they are out when they've played previously in, in that situation off the top of my head. No. Okay. And I, I wouldn't expect you to remember everything like that, but it just, it's such a, it's such a red flag to me because what this says, and, and I guess I'm leading up to this is that I've been thinking, I've said this a couple times in the show, Landon Tangwell looks like a different football player mm -hmm. than he did last season. The latest roster update, he was 300 and some pounds, right? So 305 pounds or something like that. He was 330 in the offseason. Mm -hmm. Something has happened to him. And whatever happened in the pregame warmup was not the first incident of said thing. And whatever, I, I'm fairly confident saying that I think he's been playing with an injury this season, which yeah. would explain why he has no power compared to what he did before. He struggles with things that he was good at last year, and he seems to be playing more tentative. So that informs a whole section of the offensive line conversation that we've had for a long time now. And yeah. it also underscores when they lost Hunter Norzad. They're right back where they were last year, Nate. <laughs> they're right back in the same spot where yep. they have a glaring hole on the interior of the offensive line. And yep. Hunter Norzad did not perform well himself. On, yeah. on Saturday. So it wasn't like they were replacing a player that was injured and possi possibly injured, possibly playing through it with somebody who was fresh and healthy and ready to go. A, a person who was injured was replaced by someone who was injured. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. that's, that's just, uh, you know, and, and we, we can have this conversation if you want, I'm guessing that you don't want to, and I don't want to, but it just, 
it's this thinness of the offensive line in general that, yep. like, you know, we need to, we need to start. Let, let's do this as a, as a group therapy session. We need to start from, <laughs> we need to start from the bases that yeah. losing your best players means you're not going to be as good as when you do have your best players that we got to yeah. all agree on that. We have but to. at this, at the same time, how are we supposed to know? And I mean, we as the collective exterior of the program in I, these situations when nobody had any idea that landed, we just thought Landon Tengwall wasn't being developed or wasn't being coached. And again, we still at this point have had no confirmation that any of these theories are correct. You know, like I am not reporting these things. We're having a conversation about them. So I can't yeah. even really say like, yeah, this is a for sure thing. Yeah. We're still speculating. And, and how are we supposed to, how are we, the public, uh, supposed to do anything with that? And, and and Steven asks, this is a great conversation to, to pivot to, Nate. What do you think about James Franklin saying they've got to get bigger and better uh, and recruit better? If you recruit them, should they not be developed <laughs> in nine years of this? So yeah. I understand the, the second half of the conversation in that question is, in fact, a, you know, a statement, an indictment of how Steven feels about James Franklin. But the first half. James Franklin brought it up himself. So how do you how do you navigate that conversation, knowing that Landon Tangwall is one of those bigger, better recruits, and he was not re he was replaced by a transfer who was it like you know that this is a this is a sticky conversation to get into. Yeah. Um, no, I mean I well the, the bigger and recruit better. I think he was talking about the defensive line in that specific instant. I mean, yes, there was there were references to the offensive line as well. I. You know, I, like bottom line, it hasn't been good enough, right? Uh, yeah. And, and this is just this is just where it's at. Is is I always end up in the same place, which is the Penn State's quarterback play. Uh, I think the world of Sean Clifford. I think he's a good guy, and I think that his his time at Penn State uh, has had many challenges that most people don't have to face. Yeah. However, quarterback play has been not to the level that it needs to be, particularly if the offensive line isn't going to be better. Yep. And, and yep. vice versa, right? Vice versa is the offensive line has not been to the level that it needs to be. If Sean Clifford is the quarterback, <laughs> right? Like, like it's, yeah. it's the self-fulfilling, uh, you know, dosy -si dough where the two of them not being at the level they need to be again, to, to reach the next phase, to be elite, to get from the, the area where you're competing with the Minnesotas and the Illinois and, and those types of teams of the world, Michigan State, of which you still think Penn State can hang. But yeah. if you want to compete with Ohio State, if you want to compete with Michigan year in and year out, you've got to be better than what Penn State has been. And that just bears itself out more or less every year. Yeah. Um, Dan asks, are we going to suffer through hurt gutsy Clifford this week? Let's start the Aller area. That is the, the Aller era. That is a, uh, that is a common thread. Yeah. Aller yep. area, Aller, uh, Penn state asks, uh, says goal line fades were terrible. We are going to get to that in just a little bit. I do want to talk about that specifically when we talk about the offense. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Um, but first, I got to tell you that if you are uh, if you could not sleep 
this weekend because you were up all night pacing <laughs> about how to solve Penn State's problems and how the world can be better if the Nittany Lions just were 6-0 and and everything were flipped. Maybe uh, you have other actual problems in your life. That's also a possibility when we're talking about this. But um, if you have suffered with insomnia, pain, chronic uh, infl- inflammation, any of those things, check out the sponsor of this uh, Monday show, and that is Rogue Shop. Rogue Shop is a holistic cannabis farm from a husband and wife, uh, Richard and Shar, who are awesome people dedicated to a, a holistic way of healing uh, individuals through plant medicine. Um, I am a customer of Rogue Shop. I have used their uh, THC gummies this season. Uh, I made a promise to myself this year that I was actually going to take better care of myself during football season. I was not going to work myself to death. And uh, in those challenging moments where I am at an 11 and I need to be at a 7, and I need to be a little bit less, I have had some major help from Rogue Shop. So if you want to use the promo code BWI for 10% off, make sure you go to rogueshop.com. You can see uh, their banner in the corner. You can see it here. Use promo code BWI for 10% off your uh, purchase, your first purchase at Rogue Shop. They have CBD, THC, and more. They have uh, more than just edibles. If you don't like the edibles, they have tinctures. Uh, of course, they have hemp uh, for people who want to quit smoking. Here's another thing that uh, they can help you with. If you're a smoker and you're trying to find something that doesn't in- inject fiberglass and nicotine and cancer into your lungs and you want to find something to wean yourself off, they have uh, they have hemp cigarettes for things like that. Uh, to help people quit smoking as well. They're all about holistic healing, so check out rogueshop.com. We're happy to have them here on the show. Uh, Nate, I'm the here. goal line fade came up <laughs> a couple yeah. times. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've had a conversation about this, so mm-hmm. when it comes to the goal line fade, Penn State wanted to talk about this, and I think that this is a, a worthwhile conversation because people want to know about play calling, right? Yep. They want to find something to nail their problems to. Yep. Do you think that the goal line fades and the play calling are a reason that Penn State is is defeated for the first time this year? And how big of an impact were those plays in the overall flow of the second half? Um yeah, I mean look like bottom line, I defer to you on a ton of this stuff. I can tell you what I felt in the moment. Okay. In the moment I thought that third and four from the 10 yard line. Look, let's, let's go back a little bit here. Penn state was in that game. It was a 14 to 16 game at the half there. Penn state had no business being in the game. Uh, Michigan dominated every facet and yet Penn state was in the game. And so to come out in the second half, have the ball. And guess what? They drove down the field. They went from, they had a, they had an explosive pass play that they connected on the Trey Wallace um, yeah, the, the running game was okay. They got to the 10 yard line. That's yep. good. That is good for Penn State football right now. <laughs> you get to the 10 yard line and on third and four, y- you have some choices here. You can pick up a first down for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, tight ends, you're, yep. you're running backs. Like there were different things that were happening on that drive where Penn State was able, it wasn't just the chunk play. They were able to pick up four and five yards at a time. And so my issue with the fade to Mitch Tinsley was that it happened on third down. If it happens on second down, because to me, it feels like a low percentage play. I understand that it's a, it is a high percentage play of not being a turnover, right? Like that's, that's why, that's why you do it. That's why you throw that pass is you're not going to get it intercepted for the most part. Uh, you're not throwing it into traffic, what have you. But to to do that, to to throw that ball, you are conceding a field goal. You're you're saying, okay, yeah. it, it's it's fine if we don't if we don't hit on this, uh, we're we're willing to take the, the three points, and it's a 17 to 16 game. And my issue fundamentally with that, if you're Penn State, is that you got absolutely mauled in the first yep. half, and your yep. defense was able to step up in the red zone that's great 
you can't anticipate that. They, they need points. They need yep. points. They need points. They need points. Three is not going to do it in that situation. James yep. Franklin knew it. He talked about it after the game. Like that was a critical moment in the game. And to me, that play call just, it, it, I'm not saying that the fade itself is a bad play call. I'm saying it's a bad play call on third down in yep. that situation. Yep. Uh, so there, there's a, this is what I've been wondering about these fades, right? Because it's not, it's not like nobody runs them, right? Oh. And everyone knows that they have a low percentage. Like this is common football knowledge. Penn State was in the chat and Penn State was telling itself that Penn State was wrong about uh, running the fades. I'm beginning to wonder in terms of those particular plays. Are they thinking that pass interference is as likely as an incompletion? Because that would that would change the math. So let's say I don't even know what the percentages are on goal line fades. I'm sure it's out there, and I just I I haven't looked it up recently, but I'm sure it's south of 33%. Like you have a third chance of, of getting those. It's probably even lower than that, probably lower than 25, maybe even lower than 20. But if you're also expecting a pass interference call as another opportunity for you to gain a first down and to get the ball and get the easy yards. That changes the math a little bit. But here's the problem with that. That's happened a lot to Penn State going into the red zone. Whether it's a little bit farther out, whether it's closer to the goal line, they've gotten a lot of pass interference calls. Johnny Dixon, Joey Porter Jr. grabbing on those fades. But the throws that they've been they've they've been got got on are back shoulders where the receiver's trying to turn around and the, the DB grabs it. So the optics are as important in that situation as what actually happens. And Penn State, Sean Clifford was thrown to a spot. He wasn't thrown a back shoulder. And, and that's where I don't know. Is he supposed to adjust that? Because the play call is three receivers to one side, Mitchell Tinsley to the other. It's like Kobe Bryant iso basketball. You know, like it's everyone move out. LeBron's going to go to the cup and he didn't win that rep. He did not get a clean release. He, uh, the, the DB kept in phase with him, kept him from getting to the spot. Like that ball wasn't even close to being caught, but it was in the spot that you usually throw that to. Yeah. So to me, like the execution was bad, but are they expecting something different? And is Clifford supposed to throw that differently based on the interaction of the defensive back. So like if he doesn't, if he doesn't stack him, is it back shoulder? So there's, 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 I think a little bit more there, but generally I agree. The fades are terrible. I'm just trying to bring an interesting conversation to fades because it's obviously not a great play in that situation. I, Ryan says Corum has more touchdowns and yards through seven games than at least three running back Heisman winners. So he, he has a point. Blake Corum is phenomenal. That's another part of what happened on Saturday. They, they went up against an elite football player who played like that. I think that, still when you get to the half and you're down 16 to 14 and you have no business being there, you can still feel somewhat successful. Like defensively, I know it was a train wreck. Like I acknowledge, I get it. And maybe I'm putting lipstick on a pig, but isn't that what Penn state has done for most of the season? Somebody commented in here earlier on the show about Manny getting was going to be the answer to Ben, but don't break. No, 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 no. Manny <laughs> is Ben, but don't break. He's the definition of it, but with the infusion of more turnovers, that that's right. the whole point is they're, they're not willing to give up these explosive plays uh, for touchdowns. And they had done that in this game, despite a running back who is super, super good and the same for Don, Donovan Edwards. Yeah. However, once they got to the second half in the third quarter, like I just, you know, you, you put these things together as are they correlating or are they not? I yeah. don't think it's an accident that Blake Corum has a 61 yard touchdown run four plays after they came up short with that field goal. Like after yeah. they had to settle for that field goal, you, you feel you feel like you're starting to establish some momentum. You feel like you're starting to do something good. And Blake Corum comes in and rips your soul out. Yep. <laughs> like I just yeah. Can we talk anyway. about can we talk about some of the by the way, a lot of the stuff that uh I found from film study 
you can check out bluewhiteillustrated.com. Sign up for just one dollar. That <laughs> is ending. Um, are, are we telling like it, there's a timeline on it now? So you have to get signed up if you're yeah. a regular on the show. No uh, more messing around. Do it. No more messing around. Like sometime this week. So make sure you sign up. And if you've been hesitating, you've been wondering, it's a dollar for for a year, twelve months just of access. It. Just, just try, try it. it. And uh, and if you don't like it, you can cancel. But you can get the film study, some of the in-depth stuff I found when I went through the film through the tape of watching what did Michigan do? Because Nate, Penn State is not a 418 yard differential in talent between Michigan and themselves. They are they're an FBS team. So mm-hmm. something had to be different. Something had to be unexpected to get what was it five four touchdowns 500 418 yards and and multiple explosive plays it wasn't just that they were bigger and stronger uh they completely changed their game plan from the previous four games like the last month Uh um and that led to a lot of problems for penn state they broke a ton of tendencies they went unbalanced formations and then ran the opposite way of the way they had been all season long They've been doing a bunch of things in terms of running one game plan. And like Penn State at Auburn, they flipped it on its head and Penn State was caught off guard. By the time Blake Corum ripped your soul out, they had been on the field for 50 plays. And I'm fairly certain fatigue at that point. You're right. That that took over. They had been beaten and battered all game because Michigan is bigger and they were outflanking them. Yeah. Um, and, and that is... Are you concerned about the bye week stuff? Because that's where all this lands, right? Is Michigan came in off a game against Indiana and had a thoroughly efficient game plan to outfox Penn State on both sides of the football. Is that a concern? Uh, I mean, it doesn't matter now, right? The bye week's over. So Penn State has another year with another bye week loss. (laughs) That's the bottom line. And so to me, the next part of the conversation is not about like deal with that in the offseason. And frankly, the fact that James Franklin talked about it all week leading into the game, that they had done things differently this offseason to be like, right? Like this is intentional stuff. And it's not just, oh, well, we're going to, we might try something different, like just on a lark. No, no, no. <laughs> this is yeah. this is studied ad nauseum. They go into this stuff for hours at a time. They spend weeks on it in the summer to say, hey, how can we better maximize our bye week? Uh, guess what? Not only was the result not what they wanted, uh, very clearly the manner in which it happened was a failure. Uh, however, there's there's a second there's a second boogeyman here. It's not just the bye week. It's that yeah. after Penn State loses the first game, they lose the second, and it's yep. not like some of this stuff is is I'm not going to call it a figment of fan imagination, but it's it's a little bit of that. It like the top five record having a bad yes. record against top five teams. Guess what? Yep. Everyone has a bad record against top five teams, particularly when you're the lower ranked team. However, Penn State's not been good after losing the first game of the season. And that's whether they've been good or bad. They've had really, really good seasons where they have been the higher ranked team, lose a game, and then follow it up either within the the next game immediately after or two games after that they've lost. I mean, it happens literally. uh, It has happened in five out of the eight years for James Franklin. Uh, at Penn State yeah so this is number nine this is this is the ninth ninth year of it uh when you know look like it it happens you're you're going to have a loss statistically most teams are going to have a loss how you follow up on that loss is extremely important Penn State has an opportunity this weekend to beat a Minnesota team that has some problems of its own Uh, yeah but but Penn State has to be able to to put this one away they have to be able to to say goodnight to it and move on and uh, you know, historically, Penn State has just under James Franklin has not been able to do that. So it turns the attention to this and creates this major inflection point of what what, what is this? Right. Is this a is this a real thing or is yeah. this something that just happens based on the schedule? So here's here's a question that there isn't an answer to. And I hate I hate asking you these questions, Nate, but it's the most important thing is like, why? Yeah. Uh, you know, like what, what is the what is the reason behind these things that Penn State has struggled so much to to come back from losses? I have my own theories, but 
you know, do you have any insight that isn't speculation of my personal, uh, you know, behavioral observation sort of thing? Well, I mean, I, I could tell you factually that Penn State hasn't scored points in those games. Factually, That's- right? Uh, they They get to the next game and whether it's been during their explosive years uh, between 16 and 19, or certainly over the last three uh, where, where they have followed that first game and haven't been able to crack. I believe the Ohio state loss in week two of the 2020 season. And it is what it is. We could talk about it or not. Uh, but that, those 25 points against Ohio state are the high watermark. They have not sc- <laughs> In, in those losses that, Pe- that Penn State has had following a loss, they have not done better ever <laughs> putting up 25 points. And guess what? You're going to lose a lot of games if that's the case. And so this has spanned offensive coordinators. This has spanned quarterbacks, uh, running backs, you name it. Uh, you know, and, and so they, like, to me... This game on Saturday, like, can Penn State score more than the 17 points that they've averaged yeah. in these types of games? They didn't do it last year against Illinois. Uh, they 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 just consistently, whether it was the two Michigan State losses after the Ohio State games, uh, I'm trying to remember what the 2019 game was uh, at Ohio State. They put up 17 points. Like, it's just, it's not enough. Yeah. Um. This leads us to the offense, right? Because mm-hmm. if they put up 17 points, be the third time in a row that they put up 17 points and seven of those came from the defense. So yep. uh, I have some serious problems with the fundamental makeup of this offense. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're the optimist here. I wouldn't say that I'm not an optimist. I, I would say that I also am very generally in my own life. I'm an optimistic person, but I yep. don't see where Penn State goes from here. Like, I don't see the path forward, the light at the end of the tunnel, if they continue to play the way they have been. Mm-hmm. We start with Landon Tangwall. We talk about the offensive line not taking a major step forward. But they can't create any space, Nate. They cannot mm-hmm. create space for the receiving game. They can't create space for the running game. How do they score points if they can't create space? How do they get athletes in space if everyone is crushing the, the run game and the intermediate passing game. And, and I'm not saying that they need to go bombs away, but like where do they go from here or, or do they just need to play the next opponent? And if that matchup is better, they win that game. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I think that, I think that certainly there are remedies out there. Look, he knows it. I'm sure he knows it. Nick Singleton didn't have a good game. On Saturday, a ton of chances or not. He didn't have a great game. Katron Allen didn't have like just the offense did not have a great day with whatever limited chances that they had. Uh, There will be opportunities in the future. He had some uh, Singleton in particular had some passing game opportunities that he wasn't able to, um, you know, to, to corral. He had the he had a first down were it not for. The, the pick play that was called uh, for the, the pass interference. But yep. just generally speaking, that is getting the ball to your athlete in space. Like that that right there, based yeah. on what you're talking about, is, yeah. is, is trying to mix it up and trying to get the ball in his hands and let him work. Yeah. Uh, they got to get the tight ends more involved. I think that that is painfully clear that that yeah. needs to happen. And... Maybe, maybe the Trey Wallace catch is the beginning of something. Maybe, maybe that is yeah a, a light at the end of the tunnel against a very good. Let's again, a very good Michigan defense. Yep, it was, it was always DJ going to be Turner's tough. a good corner. Uh, he's a good corner. He's he's a he's a player that has uh, talent, and it wasn't like they were going up against a scrub. And Penn State, by the way, to talk about. I know people in the chat are talking about Mike Yersich now and and very critical uh, of this part of the uh, uh, the offensive just beyond the players, the scheme and, and all those things, the development of talent. That was a good design. Like they used Parker Washington just to get uh, Wallace a clean release and let him run down the field. Because one of the problems that these speed receivers have had so far is they 
they're un, they're they're not yet ready. They're not fully formed receivers that know how to beat press, set guys up and get downfield all while not losing the timing of the play. And they were able to find a way to get him open deep and they got that big shot. And credit Sean Clifford who had uh the throw of the season <laughs> on that play. And by the way, I don't even think he was the reason they lost from his play from uh, the quarterback, you know, throwing mechanics. That you made maybe there's some decisions he made pre-snap. Maybe there's some decisions in the run game that he didn't get them in or out of correctly. But as far as being a passer, he was not the problem on mm-hmm. Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, so that the Aller conversation, I guess this is where I want to problem solve here. And you're right, yeah. the getting athletes in space and getting Nick Singleton the ball, all those things are they have been trying a lot of different stuff. But the problem to me seems to be, and this is something I laid out in in the film study, which you can go check out, that they don't have enough speed on the field. Like, there are certain ways you can create space. And what space creates is opportunity to make players miss. If you're just fighting somebody in a phone booth for an hour, you're going to get beat up. And, And the running backs have been fighting guys in a booth for a month now where... The offensive line, if you're big and strong and or you're athletic or you can create disadvantages for the defense up front, you can create space in the running game that way. If you are fast as a receiver and you spread the field out and you threaten players in short area to break a tackle and run, you threaten the defense so they have to allocate more resources. One of the problems that Penn State had is they wanted to play even against Michigan and they wanted to prevent Roman Wilson and and Robbie uh uh, number eight, what's his name? Ronnie Bell. He's been there a thousand years. Ronnie Bell. They wanted to stop those guys from getting the ball in space and picking up six or seven yards, but they couldn't overcome the disadvantage in the run game. Yep. So Penn State does not threaten people from a passing perspective because they don't have speed. They have speed, but not power up front. So going to tight ends isn't going to change that. Going to tight ends is only going to put more bodies around the line of scrimmage. So I guess this is this is where yeah. I think this offense has to has to pivot. I thought coming into this Michigan game, they would spread the ball out. They wouldn't try to run at Michigan, but they're determined to be this team this year. And I guess I, I just my open question is, is that a good idea or do you need to be more multiple, more balanced to do more things? Yeah, I, th- I mean, certainly that balance concept is something that they've talked about previously that that's. That's what they want to be. Uh, You know, I just look like there's no confusion about that third wide receiver spot that one that Mitch Tinsley and Parker Washington are not burners. We we know that that's yeah, it it just that is what it is. They they are that uh, a type of receiver that is not going to stretch the field and the stats dictate that they they show that it it bears that out. and then you've got a, a conundrum on your hands, you, 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 right? Like what, what yeah. is the better option? Do you put, if you're going to only have one tight end on the field, are you doing so with a better player that is filling that third receiver spot? Yeah. Yeah. And that, the answer, the answer in practice has been no. They they don't catch the ball. (laughs) They don't catch the ball. They don't, (laughs) they don't know what they're doing. Like, and some of it is, is a matter of, uh, right. Like consistency of they've had the opportunity to show that and they're just not there yet. And, and there's another aspect of you're asking true freshmen and redshirt freshmen to fulfill this for you. One of whom was primarily a basketball player, right? That was his best yeah. sport before before uh, <laughs> and, he kind of broke out. And so, and, and Amari Evans was a quarterback in high school. He played probably a hundred snaps in his career in the slot. Uh, you know, from what I could tell, just based on my sample size of what he did, he he didn't know how to run routes. So yep. the guys we're talking about, Blink Mega, I think the 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 paint's pretty dry on that one at this point. And yep. the the other guys, you're right. I guess I'm just trying to find a path forward for this team offensively. And I I guess I I just don't see it going down this road. If the offensive line isn't going to get better, we've talked about some of the reasons why, um, because a lot of these guys are, are who they are. 
Uh, Salim Wormley, good run blocker. Olufashanu, still young. I think he needs to, there's some work to do there as a run blocker. Caden Wallace actually has been doing pretty good as a run blocker, but you have a very narrow area of where that is. You know, I, it's just T Frank. Let's, let's cut through, let's cut through all the woods here because there's one okay. thing that people want to know. And I'm happy to learn what your perspective is because I didn't see it on Saturday. Uh huh. Will Drew change that dynamic? Can his presence on the field? Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. I think I think he is very obviously an outstanding, excellent quarterback prospect. I, I like I think that there will be a time for him where he crushes it. He's got a, such a yeah. bright future. There's yep. no doubt about that. And it's not even about whether or not he's ready. He may be ready right now. I don't think necessarily that his presence on the field removes or erases. It's James Franklin's favorite word. I don't think he can erase the deficiencies that Penn state has that we're talking about. Yeah. Tell me I'm wrong. Uh, you aren't wrong. <laughs> so, so there's, you're just the, it's all of anyway. it. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. By the way, uh, my wife's, my, my, my wife's least favorite thing is when people say, Oh, you're not wrong. Instead of saying you're right. They can't admit, Hey, you're right. Uh, Tyler, by the way, I want to get to this quickly says Penn State got blown out in, uh, by Michigan in 2016, then played Minnesota the next game, which was the turning point. Maybe history repeats itself. Yeah, maybe, maybe, um, Maybe so there are there are parts uh, there are parts about Drew Aller we don't know. Right. Mm -hmm. One of the first times that we got to see him for an extended period of time in a game came at the end of a blowout, even if it wasn't over yet, uh, but on the wrong side of it. We got to see him under duress mm -hmm. and pocket presence suffered a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, Penn State's offensive line. Took a couple did of sacks. Not, did not protect him very well. Mm -hmm. um, and he was not able to magically overcome that. And he looked for the first time by his body language and some of the wobbly throws, he didn't look confident. So if you're telling me I get confident Drew Aller, what I've seen him do when he is clean and clear, then I think it would make a difference because he has shown the ability at times to go through his progressions and accurately deliver the ball to all parts of the football field, to guys in tight coverage, to aggressive passes that maybe Sean Clifford doesn't make anymore, that doesn't try anymore. Mm -hmm. But we don't know a lot of things about Drew Aller. I have seen him get through his reads and get through his progressions and try to find guys on the backside of plays. Now, it comes in the same game where Sean Clifford actually did that this past week. Like I said, John Clifford wasn't necessarily the problem, but does he offer you the solution? Here's another situation that you can't see on, on screen, but happened. One of the play action passes, Tyler Warren goes screaming up the scene, and you've got a couple guys in the flat, and a couple one three tight ends, one of them's blocking, and Tyler Warren's going up the scene. He is covered in that situation by DJ Turner, the same guy that Harrison Wallace caught the ball over. I think he's six foot. Tyler Warren's six six. So if you're the quarterback and you want to create explosive plays and you want to you want to be the guy that helps your team win, it wasn't open. It wasn't open open. There was not a busted coverage. But if you throw it to his inside shoulder, you have an opportunity for him to go get a contested catch. So is Penn State utilizing their tight ends? No, they're not. Is Penn State throwing to the tight ends when there are tight end routes to throw? No, they are not. Does Drew Aller change that com combination? And that's that's a tough thing for me to say. I don't know because James Franklin said, yeah, I'm not going to tell you what he's good at and what he's not good at because yeah. then people can scheme <laughs> for that. So right. uh, that that's tough for me to sit here and give you any, any clarity on that. But I know what Sean Clifford does and doesn't do. Mm -hmm. And that is hampering some of these players that could be open. Mitchell Tinsley has been open more than he's been given the football and change the dynamic of the offense that could happen, or it could implode and he could get sacked all the time and be a deer in the headlights. I, I couldn't tell you, but at this point you're five and one, your offense is not clicking. Yep. How do you do that math math? If you're James Franklin, where you still have a season to win, you still yep. can do something this year. I, I mean, I think that the, the okay, let's just, 
put this out there. James Franklin's explanation for why Sean Clifford came out of the game was that he got hurt right at the end of that Michigan game. Right. Uh, you know, most of this conversation could be moot if Sean Clifford isn't available. If, if he's not available on Saturday. Yeah. Guess We're who's find guess out. Who's, <laughs> guess who's guess who's starting. Right. Uh, but if he, if, you know, uh, th- there's all kinds of things that have to be balanced that, that bottom line, nobody in this chat, nobody here is aware of, of what Sean Clifford's health is today, yep. Yep. Where, where he is. And so I, I can't provide that insight and I don't know that it's worth the time to dance around the hypothetical of, okay, well, do you play a 78% healthy Sean Clifford over Drew Lar yep. in this circumstance on Saturday night? But what I, what I do think is a healthy conversation is how did, how did Drew play it, in the opportunity that he got at Michigan, understanding how difficult it was? Yep. yep. How has he played previously to that this season? What what has changed in Penn State's offense between those two quarterbacks that suggests strongly in one way or the other? I'm not even saying that it, it's a good thing or a bad thing. I'm just saying it looks to me pretty similar. <laughs> the offense looks pretty similar. Right. And the reason that it right. looks pretty similar is because the 10 other pieces on the field when those guys are interchangeable are are doing the same thing. They're doing the and same. So you, yes, you know what the you know what they are. Like it just, I, I don't know. It's it's going to be very interesting to me to see whether or not the 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 book is out and, and can Penn State's opponents' defenses handle that? Can, yeah. can they know? Okay, this is what Penn State does well. Can we beat it and force them to do something else that they don't do well? And how uncomfortable does Penn State get? Does Penn State try to do that thing? Or does Penn State say, hey, you know what? We're we're just going to keep doing what we do well, whether the, the opposing defense wants to stop us doing that or not. Yeah. I, I So one last thing about Saturday. And it is in context of they ran 14 plays in the first mm-hmm. half. So they probably didn't even get through the full game script of the first drive or the first, you know, however many plays they came in of the, they probably didn't get through those, but I was surprised that this offense, which has won games and shootouts, right? So they've run, they've won going to Clifford through the air. They've mm-hmm. won games, big, heavy formations. They've won games, ugly. They've won games in a lot of different ways. And they threw themselves into the strength of the Michigan defense. Uh, largely through those first couple plays of, of running the ball inside zone, man, big condensed fronts. That was their plan of trying to get a yard. And I know it's a yard and I know that you're going to believe in your guys, but like I thought they would pivot, but if they're not going to pivot, like if they're going to be two tight ends, they're going to be this offense that's my concern is that I thought the idea of being balanced and multiple was they can run the ball in a bunch of different ways and they can throw the ball when they need to, they can go three or four wide and they can mix it up and do a little bit of everything with the bye week And they didn't come out and mix it up all that much. And I understand again, 14, 14 plays, plays. They, they did better in the third quarter. They got into the red zone, all that stuff. But, I guess I don't want to get too over the top with an incomplete picture. Yeah. It just, that was a concern. That's a concern that I have going forward is against Minnesota. If Minnesota has the same matchup problem, is Penn State going to come out with three tight ends and say, you know what? This is our identity. Now we're now a big boy football team. <laughs> I, I don't think that's good idea. <laughs> like I just don't, I think you need to be more matchup driven. Yeah. And if that's not the case, then I, I don't know what to do. Uh, Steven, uh, we've had this up here. I got to get to this. Uh, Steven says, Aller can't start against Ohio State. So if he does not start this week, then you won't see him to the last quarter of the season. A waste. Um, possibly. You know, like that. a lot of this will be dictated by what happens next. So, yeah, and, I don't. What, what else is on your mind? I, I've been rambling here for a good bit in the second half of the show. 
No, that's it. I mean, I look, there are endless things to talk about. I think a lot of it is in circles based on a hypothetical of what's about to happen. Penn State, like, it's, it's, this is it. <laughs> this is it. If, if they lose to Minnesota, it becomes a massive problem because nobody in their right mind is going to currently, based on the way, not just, Matchup versus matchup and Ohio yeah. State's reputation. I'm saying Penn State's not playing well. Penn State, yeah. like if if Penn State played a good game against Minnesota, scored points, looked yep. good, and lost, okay, maybe there's maybe there's some yeah, place especially out there's there. some sort of fluke or refs were involved in the outcome, right? But 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 this is this is the issue right now is. Because I've been thinking about this. What happens if Penn State wins and beats Minnesota in this nationally televised whiteout, all that stuff? Yeah. And looks horrible doing it. <laughs> like uh... what, what happens then? Because the discontent is already palpable, palpable. slathered on like butter. Maple syrup on a Sunday morning. (laughs) You can taste it, right? Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, it it just, here's the thing. Uh, I make it a point to say that I know nothing, right? I know a percentile of a fraction of the things that Mike Yersich does what Penn State does, they, they, they spend yeah. 80 hours a week studying this. They've got these long careers and histories. You know so much more than I do. Uh, I, I am just an, an observer of all of this. Yeah. But what I am observing right now is that Penn State has had problems scoring the football with any consistency for three years. Yep. For three years. And there were there were four years between 2016 and 2019 when that wasn't the case. And, and that spanned offensive coordinators. That was, that was Joe Moorhead. That was Ricky Ronnie. Uh, there were different quarterbacks during that time uh, between obviously including Sean Clifford in 2019. They put up, they put up those four years are in the top 10 or 12, I think all time scoring averages at Penn state, all four of those seasons. They're not there. Yeah. They're not there right now. And and, yep. it, and it's and it's just it's 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 right there in front of you. <laughs> like this isn't <laughs> this isn't an aberration at this point. It's it is plain as day. Penn State's offense is not producing. And so what how do you figure it out? It's that's not up to me to figure that out. I don't think it's really up to you to figure that out. No. But Penn State, it again, this this goes beyond just singular personnel. Yes. The quarterback is a big part of that, but it's not the only part. And until Penn State finds whatever the formula is that it needs to find to get back to that identity, it would be a totally different conversation if Penn State wanted to be a ball control offense that just ran it down your throats and recruited to be that and just said, hey, we're Iowa. We want to score 24 points a game. We know that our defense. Spicy, 24. (laughs) <laughs> right, we we know that our defense is good enough uh, to to keep you to twenty three. It would be th- that's fine. That is not in any way what they want the DNA of Penn State football on yeah. offense to be. Yeah. They want to be forty points a game, and they're not coming in the ballpark. So yeah. here it's we go. A problem. They yeah. got six. They got six weeks to show it. That's it. Yep. Uh, Tom here, and this will be. One of our last things we get to Tom asks, would an air raid attack work with Aller quick passes like Mississippi state take advantage of his arm talent? I would say that uh, Mississippi state would not take advantage of his talents because that is throwing the ball seven yards a thousand times. I would rather him throw the ball 17 yards four times, but also uh, in this, in this context, that would, you can't become that in the middle of the season. Like the air raid is a system. It is, specifically tailored to do one thing and that is attack with the quarterback and abandon the run right it's five wide it is it is very specific it's like uh the old zone teams in the in the 90s and early 2000s that are now proliferated everywhere like it is specifically all encased in a thing 
my curiosity has been, I thought that was Mike Yersich. I thought he had a system, and we have not seen his system at Penn State. That's a curiosity uh, to me, and that that's not that is that is an observation of what was and what is now. That is not saying that there anything beyond that. Nate, uh, what is happening right now is I'm going to go eat for the first time since noon. So uh, that's why all my metaphors had food involved. I am so hungry. Thanks for coming on the show and doing the show with me, buddy. Anytime. Thanks so much for having me. We'll see if Penn State fans are still hungry for football on Saturday. <laughs> oh, they will be. And we'll have a postgame show in the middle of the night after the whiteout game. So tune in for the PWI live postgame show. It'll be a ton of fun or it'll not be a lot of, ton of fun, but it'll be cathartic. Uh, that's what we always provide you. Either one of those two things. Uh, but coming up tomorrow, speaking of the whiteout, uh, recruiting huge weekend for recruiting and we've been covering that on the bwi daily edition on tuesdays and over at bluewhiteillustrated.com make sure you come back tomorrow 7 p.m for our show as they discuss the players that didn't be there some of the key names to know and just generally what to know about whiteout recruiting coming up tomorrow on the bwi daily edition we'll talk to you then